Man, Paul uh, comes back for one Sunday, and we bring him out of retirement to play music, to do our scripture readings. Appreciate it, bro. <clears throat> uh, to start the sermon out, I've got to give Ed in a shout-out, all right, because she was very helpful in our team meeting this week. And we, every week we review worship, and specifically for me and Pastor Dawit, we're like, hey, help us clean things up a little bit when it comes to the sermon. And Ed in this last Tuesday said, you know what? Pastor Dawit, I really appreciated how you started the sermon off by telling us exactly what we were going to talk about. So I'm going to do it again this week. This Sunday, where we're headed for our sermon today is how does Jesus teach us to pray? Is that cool? We know where we're going? Is that helpful? Okay, maybe we'll start to do this every Sunday, you know, because she was like, I don't like how you guys, you know, tiptoe around and keep us like it's a mystery and we never know what you're actually going to say. So this is just what we're going to say today, all right? Jesus teaches us how to pray. Now, these are not the reasons why I picked this particular text for this morning, okay? This is a highly Trinitarian passage. And I know that if you were here last Sunday, you absolutely and comprehensively understand the doctrine of the Holy Trinity because of how Pastor Darwit masterfully explained it to you. And so you already know everything about the Trinity. This is a highly Trinitarian uh, passage, but we don't need to get into that because you already know. And secondly, it's Father's Day. And Jesus starts out the Lord's Prayer by saying, Our Father. And he provides some examples, as we just heard, centered around Well, the difference between earthly fathers and the heavenly father, but once again, this is not why I picked this passage to preach from for today. Although convenient, very, very convenient. The reason, at least partially, why I chose this passage to preach from this morning is because of this. I am a terrible prayer. Probably not the thing you want to hear from your new pastor, right? There should be like an assumption Oh, he's a a good prayer, or he likes to pray, or he knows how to pray really, really well. But don't get it twisted, okay? It's not that I dislike praying. It's not that I don't think it's important. It's not that I don't definitely yearn to pray and to dialogue with God and to pray on your behalf and intercede not only for my own needs, but for the needs of the world I just struggle doing it like other people who are incredible prayers. You know, the ones that can wake up at 4 a.m. every day and just be praying for hours. Or the person when you're like, hey, would you pray for me? They're like, yes, let's stop right now. Give me your hands. And 30 minutes later, it's as if you've been in the very throne room of heaven. And you're like, oh my gosh, how do they do that? So this isn't some proud confession of mine this morning. All right? I'm just simply highlighting at least my need for dependency on the Holy Spirit to intercede where I fall short for my insufficiency. And nor is it an excuse not to pray better, right? By being like, yeah, I'm a bad prayer, so I'm just like not going to try. Okay, that's not what I'm saying either. It's an area that I'm admitting to you that I also, as a pastor, need to grow spiritually and to hone that discipline and practice of how to pray. And so this question that the disciple uh, of Jesus asks, Lord, teach us how to pray, is like just such a wonderful question for me because I'm like, yes, Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach me how to pray. And the answer that Jesus gives is also so refreshing. It's a wonderful answer for me, and I hope that it's a wonderful answer for you this morning as well. He says, when you pray, 
say this. It doesn't get more simple than that, right? When you pray, say, Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Don't bring us into a time of trial or temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. Now this is how Luke records this Lord's Prayer. This instruction of Jesus on how he taught his disciples and how he teaches us to pray as well. Uh, but it's a little bit different than the way that Matthew records it in his, uh, in his gospel. And as a matter of fact, it seems as if Luke forgot something. So, you know, not to put you to the test or anything like that or to test your own biblical knowledge or your ability to pray the Lord's Prayer. But uh, Luke forgets one petition. Did you catch it? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them, hey, this is what you missed. This is what Luke forgot. What is that petition? That he overlooked. Oh, Seth, that look of fear in your eyes is so glorious right now. Go ahead. Turn to someone around you and tell them, hey, this is what Luke forgot. Because I know you all know the Lord's Prayer so well that when you heard it read earlier, you're like, okay, Luke, is this even real? How could you forget this? All right, go ahead. Did you get it? Did you figure it out? I mean, it's the most familiar, the most regular things, the things that we say every single week that are also the perhaps most easiest to forget. I mean, no pressure like the pressure there is when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, but there are like no words on the screen, right? Have you ever been in one of those situations? I remember that I was at these elders' meetings at my previous church, and they would conclude every single meeting with the Lord's Prayer. And so we'd all stand up and hold hands. And, like, there was a lot of pressure because I'm thinking, like, okay, there's no bulletin with the words. There's no screen with the words. What happens if I forget one of the petitions or skip past a petition? And then I'm that guy that messed up the Lord's Prayer. But I know none of you feel that pressure because we pray this prayer every Sunday. And thankfully, praise be to God, we put the words up on the screen, because we don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable or anything like that. But since we pray this prayer every single Sunday, well, let's take a closer look at what Jesus is saying while he's praying, all right? I need a little help this week, so I looked at uh, Martin Luther's small catechism, because he includes an explanation of the Lord's Prayer as essential to the learning of the faith, to instructing the faith. And the small catechism is actually a small booklet that he wrote intended for the fathers of a household in order to instruct their family, to teach their children. And the instruction that accompanies the Lord's Prayer, Luther says this, in a very simple way, this is how the head of the household is to present this prayer to the rest of the family, to the house. Now, first things first. That's helpful in some ways, but I think it's more meaningful for our discussion this morning because is this not what Christ himself is doing? Is Christ not the head of the spiritual household of the church? Jesus is not the Father, and yet he was sent by the Father to lead us, his people, the body, into a new home, a new kingdom, a new family baptized into his name. And so therefore, he's actually fulfilling these words of Luther despite the fact that he predated them. 
Christ is the head of the household of faith, the church and his body. And as our head, as our teacher, as our leader, he gives us this gift as his household, as his children, as his people in such a simple way. When you pray, say this. Sounds simple enough, right? But is it really that simple? You know, because like if you've read anything about Jesus' words, he'll be like, just do this. And you're like, oh yeah, cool, that makes sense. And then you actually read through it and you're like, this is actually like way more confusing or more difficult or really challenging than you made it seem to be. Jesus, like what exactly is going on here? But that's because as with all things relating to our God, there's a balance between the straightforwardness, the clarity, the simplicity, and the mysteriousness. And the Lord's Prayer is no different because Jesus isn't only just teaching us words to pray. Jesus is teaching us this incredible, remarkable framework for prayer. Yes, pray for what you need. Ask God for those things that you need for your daily life, from food to eat, shelter above you, protection, provision, rescue, whatever the case may be, but know that your prayers also transcend your needs because God is working out what you actually need, what you don't even know you need, and what he knows that all of creation needs to be sustained, to be saved, to be delivered. So yes, the Lord's prayer actually concerns things of our daily lives, but it also offers clarity into the eschatological reality revealed by God. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? (laughs) Big words. Eschatological just means thinking through the fulfillment of God's plan, those things that will come to pass when Christ returns and makes all things new. And yet, when we pray the Lord's Prayer in those simple petitions, not only are we asking for what we need on a daily basis, but we're also declaring something that will come true in the end of all things, when Christ makes all things new. So let's break this down for just a couple of minutes. We start off reciting this prayer that Jesus taught us by saying, Father, or our Father who art in heaven, who is in heaven, holy is your name. The real life acknowledgement of this opening petition is that you are not God, and neither am I, that we're praying to God who is in heaven, and that God is holy. We are his creatures And at least for me, I know that I am not holy. But the reality, the eschatological reality of that petition is that we actually have a Father who is in heaven, who is there for us, who created us, who is holy and perfect and righteous and seeks to talk with us and hear our prayers. Which is why Jesus transitions and says, okay, next, pray, your kingdom come, O God. Because the reality is this. In our world, the the kingdoms of this world are broken, right? The governments, the rulers of this life are corrupt. They oppress. They're insufficient. They often fail to provide the very basic needs that every human being not only wants and desires, but needs to survive. I mean, this isn't surprising, right? Is there a perfect government on earth that has ever existed? Not even close. And so by praying your kingdom come, we are saying, God, let your rule and your reign break into this world here and now. But we also trust and know that your kingdom will come where justice will reign forever. There will be truth, no lies, no falsehoods. All things will be uprighteous and there will be no more corruption. Let that kingdom come. 
through the person and work of Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. But in the meantime, give us each day our daily bread. I mean, this one's obvious enough, right? Like, do we need to get into this one? The whole daily bread thing is cool? We're cool? Okay, great. The eschatological reality of that simple petition of God, give me my food every single day, is that we have been given someone who is our daily bread, who is the bread of life. Jesus said to the world and to this disciple who asked him how to pray, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Physically, we all get hungry. But there will come a day where we are fully satisfied, no longer chasing down crumbs that we think will fulfill us and sustain us, but are just junk food for the soul and leave us empty and wanting more and never quite being satisfied. Give us each day your daily bread, O bread of life, and forgive us of our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone not just some, everyone who is indebted to us. Forgive us. Can't get much more real life than that, right? Y'all ever had to ask someone for forgiveness? Has anyone ever asked you to forgive them? Happens every single day. We offend and we are offended. We are hurt and we hurt others. Forgiveness is a necessary reality of this life. And so we cannot ask God to forgive us of our sins without the second half of this petition, which is that we have an expectation then to forgive those who are indebted to us, right? You can't be like, hey, forgive me, but then when you ask for forgiveness, I'm just going to put you out. Or be like, nah, that's not how this works. You can't refuse to forgive someone if you are the one asking for forgiveness in the first place. Once again, this is an aspect of our daily lives, and yet it has this reality that transcends beyond our world. And we see this once again through the person and work of Jesus Christ, who died for you to robe you with his righteousness and to take on the punishment of your rebellion against the God who you just prayed to and petitioned. And God the Father forgives you because he sees the blood of Christ Jesus on your hands, not the blood of your own guilt. Your hands are stained with the grace of God, not with the guilt of your disobedience or your shame or your rebellion. So don't bring us into temptation or a time of trial. Don't force hardship upon us, O oh God. But also, and this is important, don't allow us to be convinced that when we suffer and when we face trial or tribulation that you're trying to teach us something. That's what this petition is saying. When you're hurting or someone has absolutely tried to destroy your life, God's not using it to teach you something as if he wants to inflict pain upon you to bring you through it. He's asking us and teaching us in this prayer to come to him and say, deliver us from this. Don't lead us into trial, but rescue us. Rescue us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. 
And Christ showed this in his own life. When he took on our humanity, he went toe-to-toe with the evil one, the enemy of God, who was trying to tempt him with bread, who was trying to tempt him with power, who was trying to tempt him with worship. And Jesus stood strong and he stood fast, not in order to show us the way of like, hey, y'all, just try to follow my example. And if you stand strong, then God will reward you. No, God sent Christ to show us that his son is the only one who could be perfectly obedient, fulfill his duty to be faithful to all the law and the prophets, to avoid all temptation, to survive trials and tribulations so that we wouldn't even have to try. So we wouldn't have to be convinced of this lie that God's trying to teach us something and if we're only stronger and we only believe more that we're going to be better. But when we pray, rescue us from evil and don't lead us into trial, we're saying, God, we are pointing to the one who has done that on our behalf. Christ showed us that despite the darkness that surrounds us, that he is the light. And he said about himself, I am the light that no darkness can overcome. Deliver us from the darkness. Rescue us from your enemy and our enemy, the evil one who prowls around like a lion looking for one of God's sons and daughters to snatch up. What a mouthful. So as Jesus does, he offers two real-life examples to help clarify things for us. And then he breaks it down even more simply than the simple prayer he just gave us. So Jesus said to the disciples, all right, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight asking, yo, can I get some bread? First of all, you're kind of like, Jesus, who does that? But maybe it's happened to you, okay? Someone comes knocking on your door at midnight asking for bread— And this dude isn't going to give his friend any bread because they're friends, but because the guy just keeps knocking, and he keeps knocking. And he's like, this is so annoying. I'm going to get up out of my bed and give you some bread so you can go away and I can go back to sleep. The reason Jesus gives this example is to say, yes, God is your father and God is your friend. And yet we can be absolutely shameless in our approach before God, our father, when we pray to him. This word for persistence is literally a lack of propriety. And if you're like me, sometimes you think you have to pray in a certain way. You have to have a certain posture of prayer. You have to say the right words, do the right things, and that's the way that God will hear and respond and answer to your prayers. But what Jesus is saying is that just go bug the crap out of God. Bang on the door of heaven and say, God, listen to me. Here's what I need. This is what I'm asking of you. Please hear my prayer and respond. And I'm just going to stand here. I'm going to knock at at midnight, at 3 a.m., at 6 a.m., in the middle of the day, until you open the door. And Jesus is like, yeah, do that. Budding up to God and being like, hey, we're cool, right? It's not what makes him respond. But busting down his door and being like, God, talk with me, is what he desires. So I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. Search, and you'll find it. Knock, and the door will be open for everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Once again, absurd. If my kids come and are like, uh, hey, dad, can I get a fish? Well, I mean, you guys don't eat fish, really. But if you did love fish and ask me for a fish and I give you a snake, like, that'd be the craziest thing in the world. What dad would do that? 
No, Dad, right? Or if your child asks you for an egg, we'll give you a scorpion. No one does that. But if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, anything but snakes and serpents apparently is a good gift, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Not give you a new car, not give you a better job, necessarily. But how much will your heavenly Father, who is good, give you the good gift of his very spirit, his own breath, his presence in your life? This promise of the Holy Spirit as the gift of God to us as God's children helps us to focus the substance of our own prayers and our own petitions the disciples asked Jesus how to pray because at least one of them was like me who struggled how to pray and was like, Jesus, I see John's disciples and they're killing it when it comes to prayer. I'm struggling. Teach me how to pray. And Jesus opens this disciple's mind and he opens our hearts to understand that prayers aren't heard based on your holiness, your piety, your perfection, or even your ability to pray well. We're not supposed to pray like the Pharisee who went to the temple, stood up in front of the church and showed out and was like, man, I'm the best prayer on the planet. God's going to hear my prayers because I'm so sick. But Jesus says the prayers who are heard is like the sinner who's humble and is like, man, God, I'm struggling to pray, standing in the back of the church in the corner, beating his chest, saying, have mercy. Prayers aren't answered either because of your holiness or your piety or your ability. Your prayers aren't answered based on your obedience. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Rome. Perhaps they were struggling with how to pray as well. He said, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should. But it's the very Spirit of God that intercedes with sighs or groans too deep for words. And God, who knows and searches the heart, knows the mind of His Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit intercedes for you and the Spirit intercedes for me when we don't know how to pray as we ought, when we don't pray as we should, when we're just groaning and sighing, saying, God, listen to me. I'm knocking on the door and I'm asking you and I'm not hearing anything. The Spirit is working. The Spirit is interceding on your behalf and bringing it to the throne of God, to the ears of our Father who is holy and who is in heaven. And so praise be to the God, our Father, who hears our prayers no matter what form, no matter what function, or no matter what amount of fervor they are offered with. Praise be to God the Son that teaches us a simple, straightforward way to pray for not only our real life needs, but the reality of, he of heaven to interrupt our lives with love and provision, with grace and protection. And praise be to God the Spirit who comforts, who helps, who advocates and intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God. Praise be to God that we are taught so simply to pray that it's almost unbelievable. Ask. It'll be given to you. 
Search. You'll find it. Knock. And the door will be opened to you. Now, I referenced Martin Luther at the beginning of the sermon, and so perhaps some of the explanations for these very petitions that he offers might help us as we wrap up our time looking at this prayer of Christ Jesus who taught us to pray. He says, ask. Ask who? Ask your Father, our Father who is in heaven, because with these words, God invites us to come to believe that he is our Father and that we are his children in order that we might ask him boldly and with complete confidence, just as loving children actually ask their loving fathers. Declare, holy is your name, O God, because yes, God's name is holy in and of itself, but in this prayer, we ask that God's name be holy in and among us as well. Ask your kingdom come. Once again, it's not dependent on us that God's kingdom comes. It comes on its own, even without our prayers. But we ask in this prayer that it might come to us also. So we might embody those words of Jesus who also commands us, seek first the kingdom of God, and guess what? It will be given to you. Knock on the door of God's house and ask the Father, give us our bread every single day. God will give you your bread every day, even if you don't ask, but he wants us to come to him as his children and say, give us each day our daily bread. Give it to us. Give it to the evil. Give it to those of us who sin and give it to those whose sins we need to forgive. Help us to recognize what our daily bread is and give you thanksgiving for it. We ask, forgive us of our sins And we seek to forgive everyone indebted to us. You have received God's forgiveness. On the cross, he declared you holy and righteous, blameless and pure, pious and perfect. We're not worthy of anything for which we ask. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. But instead, we ask that God would give us all things by grace. By his grace. And in searching for that forgiveness, we now find the reason to forgive those who are indebted to us. And so we genuinely, genuinely and authentically want to forgive those who have offended us. We ask, don't bring us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Once again, God tempts no one. So we ask in this prayer that God would preserve us and keep us from the evil one. Keep us from the world. Preserve us from our own sinful nature so that we're not deceived, we're not misled into false belief, despair, shame, or any other vice that would lead us away from him and his kingdom. But we ask that our Father in heaven would deliver us from all evil, evil that affects our bodies or our souls, our properties or our reputations. And at last, when our final hour comes, grant us a blessed end and take us by grace from this valley of tears to himself into his kingdom of heaven where we will receive and we will find the victory of God in Christ Jesus. And when we say amen, we knock on heaven's door certain that these petitions are acceptable to God, that these requests are heard by our Father who is in heaven, for he himself is the one who commanded us and taught us to pray. 
through his son, Jesus Christ. And what he has given to us, what he has taught us, he has promised to hear. Amen, amen. Yeah, it's like a period at the end of a prayer, but more than that, it's a confidence that says, yes, yes, it's actually going to happen. It's going to come about just like Jesus said it would. So let us say amen. Amen.